everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am your co-host for today, Taylor Rockwell, because I'm joined in studio by the man, the myth, the legend, Daryl Grove, back for the weekend review. What an intro. Yeah, we fired Ryan Bailey. Oh, man. Well, first of all, we, we put him on a, a two-week suspension until he gets <laughs> it together and stops caring about tennis. He'll be back next week. You're here with me now. And I will say now, with confidence, it is way easier to do the introduction with a person in studio. Face-to-face? Yes. Eye-to-eye? And not yeah. being like, we have neighbors all around us who are hearing me scream <laughs> at nothing. Ryan Bailey will return. Yes, he I will. will continue to get Mondays off. You to, will. To recuperate. Yes. But I'm here today. You are. I've got one thumb up, thumb up and one thumb down and I can nearly <laughs> say the whole phrase it's a thumbs up thumbs down weekend review by the way you can take over hosting now I just wanted to do the introduction okay it's a surprise everyone. <laughs> well like we said mm-hmm. thumbs up thumbs down yes first of all um I forgot how much work it is to do thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, it's, it's not the most lo- fun. There's a lot of soccer on the weekend. There is. And then, like, I was out of town this weekend, so with MLS playoffs and coming back, I felt like we were in an area with very limited cell reception. We didn't have Wi-Fi. And so suddenly when we did, it was like this weird returning to civilization, and everyone had aged 100 years, and things had advanced, <laughs> and I didn't really know what was happening. It all always takes league, some time. All the league tables have changed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Bunch of MLS teams are eliminated. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a lot, though, so I appreciate yeah. you doing that. We should note that we're going to go sort of light on MLS on this episode because we're going to have Joe Lowry joining us yeah. to do a more in-depth tactical analysis of the games that happened and the a games that come. more analysis. That's a better I'm way to put it. <laughs> yes. I'm going to say. Yes. I want to start with the big game in England. All right. Um, not Wolf Southampton. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start with Manchester United-Liverpool. Okay. So finish 1-1. Um, Rashford scored in the first half. There was a late equaliser from Adam Lallana. Mm, we all saw it coming. Of all people. <laughs> of all people. Yeah. I'm going to say um, thumbs up to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for getting his tactics right. Even though it finished 1-1, um, I was really impressed with how Solskjaer set up his team and then changed the shape throughout the game. It should have been enough to get the win if Young and Rojo hadn't kind of switched off right at the end. I agree with you now on everything you just said. In the moment when I saw that lineup, I was a little bit terrified. I did put myself in a position to have cell reception to be able to watch that game on yeah. my phone. And when I saw the lineup, especially with Tuan Zibia going out, with Rojo coming in, I was sort of concerned, confused. Back three was a little bit questionable. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm a little bit more into it. So you're a little emotional when it yeah. comes to Manchester United. Uh-huh. I can just look at them cold and be like, this works, this didn't work. Oh, no, I, I get that. But I'm saying when you saw those starting 11s, I'm going to assume that you thought like this could be bad. And that's kind of where I was with this. No, is... actually, I genuinely thought really? that's a lot of pace up front. Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I'm intrigued we, by this. we've seen Man United kept play a counter-attacking uh-huh. game before. That's how Solskjaer set them up, right? It's essentially a... Three, four, one, two. Yep. Is that a fair way mm-hmm. to describe it? And the front two were Marcus Rashford and Danny James. And then when when they would, Ooh, he's, uh, he's Danny now. Is it Daniel James? I mean, it is. But I like Danny. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> he just seems young mm-hmm. and che- like yeah. cheery. Yeah, Danny James. Um, when United would counterattack, those two strikers would pull wide. They'd mm-hmm. almost become wingers. And then Pereira would bomb through the middle, sort of like a like a young Frank Lampard. <laughs> he would like go straight through like the the middle of the gap that was opened up. It's the best use of Pereira I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I've not. I've I've not been impressed with him at all for Manchester United. This is the game where he looked really useful. Mm-hmm. And the other advantage of this is he kind of had a free role, right? There's McTominay and the other defensive midfielder was Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to sit. Uh, but when Liverpool had the ball, Pereira could essentially just be a pest, mm-hmm. right? And just chase Liverpool around and hassle them. And I thought he did a pretty good job of that as well. He also seemed to be the trigger for the times that United would press. There was yeah. a, a couple sequences when, in which like Pereira has dropped in and then suddenly he would go try to put pressure on Matip or uh, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. And when that happened, it seemed like the rest of the United team kind of moved with him. So There's it a lot of responsibility be, yeah, on Pereira, Yeah, keyed on right? Pereira, yeah, yeah, for sure. Really interesting. And then mm-hmm. the other thing I noticed is because Rashford was pulling left and Danny James pulling wide right when United would counter-attack, one Basaka and Ashley Young, the fullbacks slash wingbacks, mm-hmm. weren't really tasked with getting forward, which meant United never got pulled out of shape, right. right? Because they were never exposed down the wing. They had the back three that had things locked up in the middle. And all the evidence was there in the counter-attacking goal that Man United scored. Because mm-hmm. Liverpool sent their left-back forward. Andy Robertson was bombing forward thinking he was on. Um, and Danny James counter-attacked into that right-sided right. space. And nothing else happened, and it was all totally above board. Well, I've noticed on the Weekend Review, you guys always talk about some sort of controversial VAR incident, so yeah. we're definitely going to get into that on this show, I imagine. We will. That said, I listened to two different podcasts that talked about VAR, and I am now of the opinion that VAR conversations can be like three minutes long at max, okay. and then you gotta go. All right, so we're at a certain point, it's not that much fun. Well, if you're just talking about like the theoretical implementation, count, right? no. Like no, when you're getting into like the implementation and what this nuance is versus this nuance and how... 
no one cares. It, it's in the moment. Explain how it applies or doesn't apply and move on. Can we put a pin in VAR for a second yeah, and talk about the actual Manchester United goal? Sure. Yeah, okay. So it's a, let's say it's a tackle slash mm-hmm. foul yeah. by Victor Lindelof on Divakarigi, mm-hmm. right? The ball pops loose. McTominay springs Danny James down the right wing. And there's a massive hole there because Andy Robertson has been overlapping for Liverpool. So James has all that space to attack. Danny Boy James, yes, he does. This is Danny Boy James. He's not Irish. <laughs> um, this is the Manchester United plan, right? Yep. It's to counterattack with pace into the space that Liverpool leave when they go forward. And then James plays that beautiful curling, bending ball into Marcus Rashford, who both Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso took turns noting, made a really nice run to the yep. near post and then the far post, just enough to fool Joel Matty. And I think they were very happy to talk about that run because earlier in the half they had kind of consistently talked about how Marcus Rashford basically would be a way better player with more service around him and better quality players and yeah. how even with England sometimes he gets frustrated by the lack of service but when he gets it he makes really good runs and causes problems and so I think for this goal that he makes a very smart run towards that near post as you said Matip kind of bites on that and tries to get Definitely, in front yeah. which allows that space in behind it. yeah it was it was it was a very smart run for Marcus Rashford and I say thumbs up for yeah. that run the finish, fine. The run, better. And to, just to reiterate the, the tactical plan, you mm-hmm. could also see Pereira crashing the yep. top of the box. I think he distracts at least Fabinho and maybe a couple of other players. Mm-hmm. So he's not like directly involved in the play. Right. But I think the key thing is that no one else is there. So Man United are attacking, mm-hmm. counter-attacking with essentially just the pace of James and Rashford, the late arrivals of Pereira. No one else really committing forward. And it was enough to make it 1-0. Now, Jurgen Klopp, we're not going to Vieira yet, but Jurgen Klopp, in discussing this play argued that basically because his players switched off for a half second thinking the foul was going to happen and United players kept playing, that it kind of, like, first of all, it then should have been a foul because his players switched off. But also, I guess I'm asking you, if you buy into that idea, does that cheapen the goal at all? Because it's Liverpool players sort of being like, oh, a foul is going to happen. And we've been in those games where you think the foul's coming and it doesn't. Think back to the Champions League Mm semi-final, Liverpool-Barcelona. They took advantage of Barcelona switching off after sort of set pieces were awarded mm-hmm. and we just played the ball in quickly. So they know the value of uh, not stopping because you think a decision has okay. gone a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will not disagree with you. I'm just very mindful of the fact that I have a a, a horse in this race. Yeah, so yeah. I don't want to then like jump too much into like, no, it's fine. It's all good. It's all about board. Don't worry so about it. So are you ready to actually get into it then? Um, sure. The, the VAR incident mm-hmm. is that Lindelof definitely does catch yeah. Divakarigi on the back of the calf. Mm-hmm after the ball has popped loose, and then McTominay launches the counter-attack. It is reviewed Mm -hmm. by VAR, um, but the goal is not overturned. Right. Yeah. And I think this is where, like, we're going to have to sort of focus up a little bit because I think it can be a very ranging conversation about (laughs) VAR and the intricacy. Now I'm trying to make it longer. Uh, No, (laughs) I think think here there's a couple different things. I I do think that in a normal game, this is probably a foul. I think... Just straight up, Atkinson sees uh, Lindelof going to the Mm -hmm. back of Origi, blows the whistle, he kicked him in the calf, free kick. Now, yes, and I think that's... No VAR. That's that's what happens here, and, like, I, I can see why Liverpool fans and Jurgen Klopp especially feel chagrined by this. There's yeah. there's two outliers here that I'm not even saying necessarily like changed my mind that it should have been given, but are just, I think, things that were factored into the decision. Number one is that Origi's first touch spills about five yards away from him, and then there's the contact and he goes down. And I think Atkinson, who had called a fairly loose game, is I guess yeah. the way to put it, he let a lot go, I think at that moment thought... You miscontrolled a pass, then there was contact, and maybe that contact was too much, but you miscontrolled and maybe we're trying to sell it a little bit. He did add a little bit of drama to the dive. Mm -hmm. I I mean, he stays down for like 30 seconds afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely that element. And so I think Atkinson sees that, sees that there's contact, but maybe sees that it's miscontrolled and allows play to resume. And so the narrative about this seemed to be like, oh, like Jurgen Klopp was frustrated that Atkinson relied on VAR, but then VAR didn't actually overturn it. I don't buy that rationale. I think there was frustration that like Atkinson didn't go immediately to VAR and look at it himself. But I think what happened here is the goal happens. VAR official says, like, hey, there was contact. Atkinson says, yeah, I saw it. I didn't think it was enough. I think that's it. And that's basically how it Yeah, went. there's not some, like, new incident Mm-mm. where, like, uh, Atkinson didn't see that Lindelof put his finger in Origi's ear. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no new evidence to be introduced. Mm-hmm. We only have Exhibit A, which is Lindelof catching the back of Origi and Origi going down. Atkinson saw it first time, decided no foul. Seeing it again on VAR doesn't overrule it. No. His, the one thing I would say is, if I'm calling that game, I think that's a foul. Yeah. I would have just blown the whistle then and mm-hmm. there for Lindelof's foul on Origi. So it is a mistake from Atkinson, but it's not a failure of VAR because VAR, VAR kind of has its limits in terms of it can't overrule Atkinson. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing in the end. You can't have the video guys 
overruling the center ref. One thing I did find interesting, though, with the idea of like he made a mistake or he should have made this call is by all accounts from former United players and former Liverpool players is that Atkinson's reputation is as a former Yorkshire policeman. Uh, the way I heard two different players summarize him is get up. That's his. That's his mentality. Is like is get up they, and play. That's what they hear from him a lot. Yes, uh, while they're playing. That <laughs> was, yeah. was a Darren Fletcher line that I think was backed up by Jamie Carragher, yeah. maybe. Um, but but I think that like that is sort of the way he chose to officiate this maybe game. He's a big James Brown fan. That could be. <laughs> get on up. Uh, but I, I I do wonder if maybe there was an element of he already kind of is okay with a physical game and it's Manchester United Liverpool. Yeah. So there's always going to be physical clashes. If you start dishing out cards for things that are marginal, then suddenly you're going to have to dish out. Cards for yeah, everything yeah. and you throw people and off. You won't have that like blood and thunder yeah. Northwest Derby, yeah. which is really what we did yet, right? We did. Yeah. And so I think that like Our three I, minutes are almost up, by the way. That's fine. I understand why it wasn't called with that in mind, but I also understand why Liverpool fans are frustrated and think that should yes. have been a foul. The final thing I would say is that it is the case that this is how it's been called all season, similar to the Sadio Mane handball that I think people thought was was maybe unfair, that he didn't really yeah. know. Any any contact with the arm or the hand or whatever... Um, from an attacker. From an yeah. attacker is going to be called a free kick right. in the lead-up to yeah. it. Yeah, and in that case, the ball hits his hand, yeah. it comes down, That's he gets the forward. goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did enjoy David De Gea asking Lindelof just, Lindelof just to make sure he didn't handle it, and when yeah, Lindelof yeah. said no, then he was like, yeah, definitely handball, definitely handball, <laughs> definitely handball on Sadio By Mane. that guy, not yeah. the other Guy. Yeah, so if we're going with the way it's been interpreted, the way it's been called this season, I think that both of the decisions make sense, even if people are frustrated by them. All right, and here's why I'm still giving thumbs up mm-hmm. to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, for his tactical setup. Yeah. We talked about the 3-4-1-2. About 60 minutes in, he switches it up a little bit, pulls Pereira back and forms a three-man midfield. So now it's like McTominay deep, mm-hmm. uh, Pereira to the right, Fred to the left. I think that was the right move at the time to just – because you can only sort of press and be stretched out a little bit for so long, right? Yep. You've got to slowly take your foot off the gas and shore up the defence. And then the last 10 minutes, he said to Danny James, you go back as well. Man United end up in a 5-4-1. I want to, I want to and it would have worked if it wasn't for that, that, final, that final ball and uh, the mistakes from Rojo and Young. But earlier you said that like Young and uh, uh, AWB, Aaron Basaka, didn't have to get forward very much. That yeah. was the whole part of the system. So when you say like you can't press and stretch the whole game, you have to sit back and be defensive. Like Weren't they sort of already doing that? Well, no. Rashford um, and James and Pereira were kind of running around chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and McTominay and Fred were kind of a little bit pressed up and Young and Wambasaka were sometimes level with McTominay and Fred so it's like a four-man midfield mm-hmm. so when you go to the 5-3-2 Young and Wambasaka are level with the back three um, and then McTominay and Fred have an extra guy so they can sort of not chase around so much and Rashford and James's job is more to just stand and just stand in the way mm-hmm. as opposed to chase around so it's less chasing around yeah. from the front three slash five let me ask you this then a g- genuine question that I don't really know the answer to or how I feel about it like I, I take your point that it's an adjustment to be more defensive. You have to do that at some point, especially if you're trying to see the game out. But is there an argument that like if you're playing against a team like Liverpool who have so many attacking options and will keep attacking relentlessly over and over and over again, that at a certain point, if you're going like ultra-defensive, you're sort of inviting that on yeah. and it makes it hard so, to hold up? I've really thought about this before mm-hmm. coming onto the show and giving a thumbs up for a tactical change or tactical evolution throughout the game mm-hmm. that ultimately didn't work. I still think it was the right thing, even though they conceded. Because okay. I think if he had just kept uh, kept the front three and maybe the central midfielders running and running and running, eventually it would have broken down. Yeah. yeah. I, I have not been the biggest fan of Ole this season. I think he's made some interesting tactical choices and some poor substitution choices. Uh, this game was one of the few games I have seen where I thought he got it right and was yeah. and the individual lack of quality from some of his players yeah. was the actual problem. We'll talk about the second goal right. uh, pretty soon. Right? Sure. What do you think of the idea that Man United are a really good counter-attacking team? And this stuff works against teams that will come at them. Because I'm thinking back to the... I think uh, they're an okay ta- counter-attacking team. Okay, well, okay so the, the tactic of counter-attacking seems to work mm-hmm. against the bigger teams, yeah. right? Because didn't it kind of work against Arsenal? Yeah. You know, it scored that McTominay goal kind of on the counter-attack. Mm-hmm. And wasn't it Danny James bursting down the right, crossing to Marcus Rashford? Yeah. And, I think, and it ends up with McTominay. And I think yeah. you could even make the argument that, like, Chelsea, they get the goal early, and then they can kind of sit off a little bit and then look to exploit Chelsea, who are trying to get an equalizer. That's yeah. when they get the 4-0 win in the beginning of the season as well. I think kind of being able to sit back and then counter uh, works pretty well for them, yeah. So Solskjaer has half a plan for the season. Mm-hmm. He just needs maybe a more 
a useful plan for going up against teams that will sit back mm. and not let you counter-attack into acres of space. That, that would be good. Yeah. I think my hesitation there is definitely... Space is no good when there's loads of Burnley defenders or Wolves defenders in the way. Or when you haven't really worked on your patterns of play and how quickly you move the ball. Because that's, that's where my hesitation is. Is that like With Liverpool, I have this idea that if they're counter-attacking, most of the time they're going to score. I think Firmino had an off night. Most and of I, the time. Or, yeah, I mean, off night, off day, whatever it was. Like There's a couple chances. There's one at the end of the first half that I feel like usually he puts in a more difficult position and yeah. he hit it right at the Hea. But generally speaking, I think of Liverpool's counterattack as like they're going to switch and play and, and it's going to be clinical and efficient. Yeah. And with United, I think it's a bit more like individual pace and then yeah, yeah. crossing the ball. And so that's why I say like they're okay at it, but it still requires some development. Yeah, maybe the return of Martial will give them a, a bit of that's development. a safe, and safe maybe bet, maybe Pogba yeah. to come back as well. Is he coming back? I don't know. All right, we'll see. <laughs> Should we talk about Liverpool's equaliser? Yes. Liverpool fans will want to hear about it. They probably right? will. Um, so Man United... This is a weird game. It this was, is a weird right? game. That, like uh, uh, this is a, a point that was much discussed. But like going into it, I think most United fans would have been like one to one draw, fine. We'll take it. And then with ten minutes to go, it was like now we're going to get three points. <laughs> and Liverpool fans would have been sad by a draw heading into this one. Yeah. And then at the end, we're sort of like, okay, well at least we didn't lose, so that's fine. So the blame for this goal, I think I've already put it twice on both Young mm-hmm. and Rojo, and that's because first Young is marking Lalana, mm-hmm. then Lalana wanders over. Actually, no, he gets pushed by Young. Yep. <laughs> into Rojo. Sure does. Then Rojo's marking Rojo. But then by the time the ball comes in from Robertson, no one is marking Lalana, And he's there to just score at the far post, right. right? So I have several theories on how and why this happened, but it's essentially mistakes from Young and, Young and Rojo. Yeah, I mean, I think it's mistakes from Young and Rojo born of Rojo not playing consistently for a very long time yeah. and Young not being a natural defender. Well, Rojo was just called in at the last minute, right? Wasn't right. Twan Zabi injured his hip mm-hmm. in the warm-up? And yeah. so Rojo was like, hey... Yeah, Rojo's, guess what? You play soccer today. And he was like, what, me? He's gotten some minutes, I think, in like their most Europa League fixture, most recent Europa League fixture he yeah. played. Here and there he's played, but he is definitely one who they have tried to sell multiple times and yeah. has blocked the move multiple times. So here he plays, and I think you see some of the rustiness. I know you, you have a theory on that one. Yeah. My theory in the lead-up to that one is just that Ashley Young, it's a thing – uh, United fans have seen from him this season and, and in the past is sort of doing the shoving thing of Adam Lallana, like getting into it. That's great. You're being physical. You're knocking him off their game. But it does feel like once... the body strength yeah. he's put on. I mean, you he's might as well use it, right? got to do something with it. But I think as soon as that, like, it, it's theoretically Lallana versus Rojo, Young just kind of switches off and is sort of there at the back post, but he doesn't really try to cover at all, and that's problematic for me. So this is the actual weird part. This mm-hmm. is where the first mistake I think Young makes is when uh, Keita plays the ball out left to Andy Robertson, mm-hmm. who is, like, well ahead as in like uh, not attacking side of the Man United defence mm-hmm. Young puts his arm up to appeal for offside and looks across at the linesman I, such yeah. an odd thing to do I All mean, I could to, figure even is... right there he switched off for, to appeal for offside for a player that was like 10 yards onside you're right and the only thing I could think is that he assumed the ball was going to go into Firmino yeah, who was, was very yeah. much offside yes yeah. Um, yeah, I, that was but you know what happens when you well. assume right Taylor you uh, end up you not defending you sometimes yeah. get things wrong there we go yeah <laughs> and I do think uh, that like with that ball going out wide uh, I've seen a few different people point out and I would agree with that like Aaron Juan Basaka who had a very good game otherwise very too much inside and that is I think a product of sitting back collapsing and being ultra defensive yeah. you stop thinking about like oh yeah I should spread wide because maybe that counter attack it's going to be on. And oh, so Robertson has space to cross. And then like, yeah. you can see Juan Basaka sort of realize, like, uh-oh, and he goes like, running out there, but by then it's How too long late. are these spider legs? <laughs> Not that long. Not that long enough in that case. Yeah. Turns out. Um, okay, then the other big thing I see is Rojo. When this ball comes in, I think Rojo leaves Lalana to go and meet the ball, mm-hmm. and I think he thinks, uh, forget man marking, I'm just going to get there first, clear this thing, Right. And I think he would have got away with it if, if it wasn't w- for those pesky kids. If it wasn't for that pesky Roberto <laughs> there <we go>. Firmino. Because <laughs> isn't the ball, the ball like comes into Firmino. He pulled of off it. his own mask to reveal Roberto <laughs> Firmino underneath. <laughs> yes, which is even scarier, right? It is. I was hoping it was going to be uh, uh, the, the, the gatekeeper. <laughs> Who is it usually? Oh, it's always like mean old Mr. Something. The caretaker. Yeah. It's normally the caretaker. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't the caretaker. It was another Firmino. Or the billionaire who owns a theme park that's haunted for some reason. Yeah, whatever. Theme parks were big business in the 80s. Let's be real. With Scooby-Doo in the 80s, it was a millionaire who owned a theme park. <laughs> so Firmino doesn't meet the ball at the far post, nope. and he either like leaves it and fakes it or just doesn't quite get to it. And whichever it is, that's enough to throw off Marcus Rojo because mm-hmm. I think he thinks he's got to react to Firmino's redirect, but there is no redirect so he, the ball just flashes past Marcus Rojo. So he's left his mark yeah. and he doesn't get to the ball. Ashley Young was thinking about offside and he's like just completely lost Lalana. That's why Lalana is free at the far post. Mm-hmm. 
that's not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault, right? Those are individual mistakes. I mean, I think maybe his fault for not signing a left back and a left centre back. We talked about this. Yeah, that's well. I think he tried. Uh, they, I, they. Like we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and I, I sort of disagreed with you that Rojo is trying to do like a good defensive play here and just ends up getting exploited by clever play from Firmino. And I think the reason why, in hearing you explain it again, is just that I don't know if that's his job. If you're the left center back, I don't know why you're running over to cover the near post. This is definitely me speaking as a fan, by the way. Yeah. Like, I don't know why he is the one that decides I need to run past my other two center defenders to block it out of the near post as opposed to track my mark and assume somebody else is going to do it. So I think, again, we're talking about assumptions and players sort of making on-the-fly decisions that yeah. don't seem like a collective That's what unit. defending is, though, right? Sometimes you have to make the weird decision to sort of break ranks and just go win the ball. Yeah, yeah. but if you don't, then you're yeah, doubly at well, fault. that's the risk, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you, if you miss it, you're in trouble. There we go. Um, one other thing I want to credit Liverpool with, I guess this is a thumbs Adam up. Adam Alana's heroic finish. I mean, that. <laughs> yeah. But also, there was definitely a decision made in the second half mm-hmm. to just crush Danny James. Yep. So there was... Uh, Van Dyke basically hip checked him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think gets him like right in the middle. Fabinho hip checks him into the face. To be fair, I think a, his nose bleeds. A Van Dyke hip check on uh, Danny Boy James is definitely like around his temple uh, for for James. Yeah, yeah, right. For Van Dyke, slightly larger. Fabinho really does get him in the nose mm-hmm. though. So there are two really big like slam challenges that are never really going to be red cards because a hip check never looks as bad as like a two footed tackle or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really smart, aggressive, like borderline violent but enough to sort of send Danny James a message or make him a little bit scared just to kind of try and nullify a threat that was really threatening Liverpool and this is why this is why they're able to get a 1-1 draw out of a game that it looked like they were losing because like I'm essentially making the case that they're potential champions because they're willing to do these quite nasty things those things can be necessary sometimes well, yes sometimes but, you've got to knock down the fast guy and I guess I'm inclined to give credit to Jurgen Klopp for that because I also think that if you're going to be a champion and go far in the Champions League and in the Premier League like take it down and maybe win the title it comes down to your coach's ability to adapt and I would argue that Heading in, like, like with the goal happening as late as it did in the first half, we've talked about this in many shows, that it can be really difficult if you're the team that's just conceded to go in and come up with a coherent plan for how to deal with the second half. Yeah. And I'm going to assume that Klopp went in there and was pissed off, and maybe that filtered into, like, so be physical. He's not going to call fouls. He's not going to give cards. Yeah. Knock him around. Don't be afraid to hit him back. Yeah, Atkinson's giving you the green yeah. light. Right? And I think that yeah. probably explains why the physicality was ratcheted up and why, the, why Liverpool players were sort of inclined to knock United players around a little bit more yeah. in the second half. All right. So, anything else on this game? No. I mean, a one-to-one is, is a weird result, but I, I guess, well done to both teams. Why not? <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it. As an yeah. initial, I really enjoyed watching it. Did you? It. Yeah. All right. Well, there yeah. we go. That's, that's all I'm sure they were looking for. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're But if our listeners are looking for maybe uh, some tickets to any sort of live event, Daryl Grove, then they should listen to our words about today's sponsor. They should. Today's show is sponsored by SeatGeek. Uh, Sometimes it can feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult. And maybe they're even doing it on purpose, which I'm going to say... um, Some certainly are. It's a bad business model. Yeah. It's a bad business model. Maybe they're so big they think they can get away with it. Not SeatGeek. Mm-hmm. They're still in startup mode. They're still in startup mode. They're still out to uh, to make things as easy as possible for you. That's right. They prove there's a better way. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. Uh, SeatGeek will have the tickets you're looking for in one place, and they will have them with a guarantee that they are actual tickets to an actual event. <laughs> so if you are a person who's looking for, say, playoff El Trafico tickets, they are there. They are expensive, which is to be expected for one LA team playing another LA team with yeah, yeah. LA executives all around. Isn't the deal that like they're on the secondary market, uh, traf- El Trafico tickets for Galaxy, LAFC v Galaxy mm-hmm. are more expensive than Lakers v Clippers tickets? Yes. Yeah. What a victory for soccer. Yeah, I think so. Kind I mean, of. I think it's basketball regular season versus MLS playoffs. I, I think if you flip that one around, maybe less I don't want to so. get in the weeds on this, Taylor. <laughs> but I don't want to in the weeds. I mean, if you've got a spare $361, you can get very, very up close and personal tickets, but there are tickets you can available play for the LA Galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Yes, for a couple more. For a couple more, you get Partners to be Partners Latin up front. Yeah, you get to be the fifth choice center back on the bench, <laughs> just in case. Uh, but there are slightly the Rojo less expensive ticket. tickets. They call it the Rojo ticket. Yes, yeah. I was going to say slightly like cheaper tickets, but that's not what those are. But you can get any range of tickets, albeit for a little bit more money, uh, to uh, El Trafico, but also every uh, second round of the MLS playoffs, okay. there are tickets available for maybe a slightly better uh, value. I think the cheapest available would be RSL Traveler to Seattle. Those were around okay. like $30. All right. So you can see, so that's Seattle at home mm-hmm. uh, facing RSL. Uh, for how much? 
around 30, I think it was 29 was the lowest one I saw. What if I only wanted to pay 19? Well, Daryl. I've got an offer for you. Uh, our <laughs> listeners can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All they need to do is use our promo code, which is, not surprisingly, TSS. Oh, you haven't changed it? I have not. Uh, TSS, uh, if you download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. One more time, Daryl, that promo code is... TSS for $10 off your first purchase. There we are. So thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. We spent a good long while talking about Man United Liverpool. Shall we spend a good long while talking about Chelsea and Newcastle? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of, I was everywhere with my thumbs. I'm good with it. I didn't give you a chance to do many thumbs. Um, I mean, I can go first if you want. I think I did a Marcus Rashford thumb. I'm fine right. with that. Then I'm going to say thumbs up to the Chelsea team doctor for curing Christian Pulisic's flu. <laughs> yes, okay. He did it. They found a way to cure it. They didn't think there was a cure, uh, a cure for the flu. Mm-mm. Turns out there is. It turns out if you ask him, are you okay? And he says, yes, it's cured and he can play. They should have tried that in yeah. the great epidemic. As, as opposed to trying it after they subbed him out already. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for those not paying attention. <laughs> just search. <laughs> Do you feel better? Yes. Flu's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we won't put you on the car. Influenza outbreak is no more. <laughs> so it's the 64th minute. It's the 64th minute. It's Chelsea nil, mm-hmm. Newcastle nil. Mm-hmm. Newcastle are doing their classic 5-4-1. Yep. Right? So they're really hard to break down, basically. Chelsea are having trouble getting through. Off the bench, Christian Pulisic comes off the bench, replaces Mason Mount as, at this point, the number 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. So Christian Pulisic comes on. He's the number 10. He's got Tammy Abraham ahead of him. To his right is Willian, and to his left is Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, and just to complete the picture, Jorginho and Kovacic uh, behind him. Right. Pulisic at the heart of Chelsea's attack, right? Mm-hmm. 64th minute. By the 74th minute, he has what we're going to call an MLS assist or a hockey assist mm-hmm. um, for Alonso's goal to make it 1-0. He wasn't great in the 10 minutes building up to that. He was really, I think that gave Pulisic a little confidence boost. He was really good after that. Driving at people, um, should have had an assist when he squared it to Abraham in the box. I think DeAndre Yedlin. Thumbs down to DeAndre Yedlin mm-hmm. for finally doing something good this week. I have thumbs up to Yedlin, but we'll get okay. back to that one later on <laughs> uh, for that play as well as other things yeah. as well. Um, I would I would pause there to say like I I feel like I know why you're saying he wasn't as good in the lead up to that goal and like the ten minutes before. Yeah, I actually like so I went back and watched because I agreed with you, but I was trying to figure out why. I have and a theory, I, but I'd like to hear yours. Oh, okay. Well, my, my theory is basically. It seemed to me that Lampard asked him to kind of go in, stay central, and be like a central figure for Chelsea, yeah, yeah. and Number move 10, into right? yeah, and move into space and like try to like exploit gaps and pull defenders out to the extent possible. But he, I was surprised by how stationary he was, and that's why I, I found myself watching it because we've talked about this in the past about like if a player is doing a thing that doesn't quite make sense, but they keep doing it, then to me the logical conclusion is that's what they've been told to do. Yeah. And and it does kind of vibe with what we've seen from Pulisic in the uh, was it Ipswich that they destroyed? I forget who it was who they destroyed in the league in the cup. AFL cup. Yeah, it wasn't Ipswich. It wasn't. It was it. It was somebody. Oh, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. The point is, like in that game, we talked about how we were surprised Barry. he wasn't more selfish and destroying people. I don't think it was Barry because don't they not exist anymore? It wasn't Barry. <laughs> there we go. Um, but anyway, uh, like we talked about how he didn't like want to make it all like beat six people and score a goal and go at people and do his own individual thing. It felt like he was much more trying to play like kind of as a yeah. team. And this seemed like that same performance to me. And so I feel like there's a chance that that's what Lampard has asked him to do. I agree. So just what worried me for that first 10 minutes mm-hmm. was that he was trying to stay central and get open. Mm-hmm. And he just – the angles were always slightly wrong. Yeah. Like every time he ran into space – it was like the space was there and he'd run into it, but then that space had closed down. Newcastle mm. had already shut it down. So it's like he was a few seconds behind where the space was. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think, I don't know if this is a flaw in Pulisic's game or if it was just a rough 10 minutes with a really clogged defensive midfield from Newcastle, but he just didn't seem good at finding the available space before it opened up. Right. It was mm. after it had closed down. You, know, you get to a shop and it's just closed. Yeah. That's what Pulisic was doing. Yeah, for the first I, I don't disagree with that. But I also think that he not necessarily like abandons that approach, but it, 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 he reduces a little bit his like, I'm going to stay in the middle and then I'm going to try to make runs and is much more making runs off the ball that are like not like right into space to like help like create one twos, but like for the chance that he has that Dubrovka saves. It's the, oh, yeah, he has a chance after like two minutes. Yeah. Down, right? yeah. And, and I think that one is like he makes 
a darting run in at the back post, but then adjusts when the ball kind of deflects and is able to get, I would say, a good first touch, given that it's behind him, yeah. to then put himself into a shooting opportunity. He shoots right at the keeper, just like he did against Canada. Yeah, and 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 if you watch Jordan Morris watched that and had flashbacks. I would say this, though. So I, at, in the moment, I was like, oh, here we go. The narrative's going to be like, he had his chance. He should have taken it. Yeah. The ball's played behind him. That he's able to get a shot out of it is already, I think, a positive that he's able to set himself up with a really good first touch. He's also being challenged and falling over as he shoots. So it wasn't quite that same, yeah, like, yeah. you've got to bury this. It was a, like, reactionary, like, oh, I've got a chance, and he kind of snatches at it, but yeah. I still think puts himself in a good position. And then, obviously, for the goal, for the uh, MLS assist, I don't know what a hockey <laughs> assist is. I do, but I'm not calling it that. It's an MLS assist. Uh, I felt like he made a very smart run and had excellent vision to be able to spot uh, Callum hudson Adoy at the back post. Well, yeah, what I like is he finally gets open, mm-hmm. um, receives the ball from Jorginho, um, I think. Mm-hmm. with it. So he's outside the area, and I think he receives it kind of with his back to goal. He does. Mm-hmm. And he does a thing that I think Greg Berhalter would have loved, which is to receive the ball and turn at the same time. Yep. And then he goes at Newcastle. And he does that thing when a dangerous player dribbles at you, you kind of crowd around him, and then you choose the right time to release it, yep. which is exactly what Pulisic did, right? He drew people in. Then he found... Uh, and, if, and going back, like way back when, to his like early season slash seasons at Dortmund, one of the things that I remember you especially would kind of point out, and it became a thing that we were like, okay, we need to see that game and hit, uh, part of his game develop, was like the low kind of blind crosses that he would often hit. Yeah, just playing it into people's shins. And yeah, knees. like yeah. kind of dri- jumping to the end line and driving it across and hoping something happened. And that stood out to me just because in this moment he does that, but then he picks out he picks out a, like a, a corridor, uh, like a, a space to play that ball into that ends in Callum Hudson-Odoi at the back post, but he picks that spot and plays the ball perfectly in. Maybe not perfectly. It's a slightly behind, which is why uh, Hudson-Odoi... I, don't, I, I need an abbreviation for this that Cho. isn't... Yeah, you want to call him Cho? Yeah. That Cho can like receive and then he lays it off, but it's still really good vision from Pulisic that wasn't just like, I'm going to put my head down and blast it and hope someone's yeah. there. He picked his spot and found a player. And Lampard, after the game, seemed really happy with Pulisic. Mm-hmm. He said there's a lot more to come from him. He also said like people maybe got carried away with what was happening in the in yep. the short term. Uh, yeah. Here's my theory, though, with that in All mind. Right. Uh, I, I do think that Cho is going to be very difficult to replace, knock off as like a left winger for Pulisic. Margaret Cho? I don't yes. know her politics. I mean, I don't know either, but we'll see. I do. I, I'm she pretty sure we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think Callum, Callum Hudson-Odoi is going to be very difficult to remove as like the left winger. I think he's looking better and better yeah. right now and from injury. William seems to be preferred on the right side. Pedro can come in there yeah, as well. I think stories of Williams reports of Williams' demise have yeah. been greatly exaggerated. But Mason Mount seems like a player that Pulisic could eventually overtake. I yeah. know you don't want to hear that because you want a young English number ten to be succeeding. You'd like both know. of them to. I feel like there's enough English midfielders at yeah. this point, and we kind of need right. Pulisic in the US that I I would choose Pulisic over Mount. But just I hope that he continues to get chances there and continues to develop because. Like, amending what I said earlier, I, I now kind of, with our conversation in mind, feel like there's a chance that, he, like, Lampard told him to do the sort of thing that he ended up doing that leads to the goal, but he initially interpreted that as, like, stay central and just be the facilitator. And as he got a bit more creative and backed himself and turned and went at players, that's when he created. And so I hope he continues to do that, gets those chances, and maybe ends up becoming the number 10 that they didn't even know they needed. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe also great. knew they needed. I would take that for Christian mm-hmm. Pulisic. Uh, I have two other little things from this game. Yeah. One is, uh, still, though, thumbs down to Chelsea. Uh, because <laughs> I refuse to give them credit for doing a thing that they've been forced to do, and then the narrative has become like uh, Phil Neville was like I love the way they're playing the young kids and giving them chances it's like again yeah, yeah. they have been required to do that by the transfer yes line. and so like I just know there's going to be if they end up winning a title or like years down the road England win the World Cup because all these young Chelsea players came through it's going to be this like Chelsea did it and it's like no like they were forced to do it because yeah, they broke they, the rules but they still did it they did it's just it's like it's like being told you can only like print in black and white instead of color because you've used too much color and then everyone giving Daryl praise for only printing in black and white and what a heroic choice. And it's like, no, he's being told he has to do that. Or like if I made a film and yeah. I filmed in black and white because that's the only film stock I could afford yeah. and afford color, then I get praised for how arty the film is. Exactly. That's kind of how I feel. So it's just a minor nitpick. <laughs> and then my other one, I would say thumbs up to DeAndre Yedlin because he looked not good for the USA against Canada. I thought he looked uh, better for Newcastle. Has that kind of uh, saving tackle that would have given Pulisic the assist. That was yeah. a great play by him as well. Was that a little too unselfish from Pulisic? I kind of feel like in hindsight he should have just blasted that himself. I mean, but by the same token, if he blasts it and puts it like wide or, or hits it right at the goalkeeper oh, no, again. I was thinking blasting it into the back of the net. I mean, that would have been ideal. <laughs> but I, I, I thought this as well. But I think in that moment, 
he doesn't see Yedlin because Yedlin is is coming from so far back yeah. that it looks like just a square tap in for Tammy Abraham. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Tammy Abraham thought the same thing because his face was very this much like, what just happened now? <laughs> really he was very me. confused. So I thought that was a great play for Yedlin. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to say was just like it's a, it's a larger conversation. I don't know how much we want to get into it here, but there was the whole story about like sources close to Yedlin said that he was happy to be back with Newcastle because things were so bad with the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, and I read those quotes. Yeah, um, the locker room like wasn't exactly a good place right now yeah, or whatever. I took those quotes to mean because they lost to Canada, mm-hmm. the locker room wasn't a good place. Yeah. Everyone was really unhappy after the game, mm-hmm. and I think a few people have read that and extrapolated it to mean. The atmosphere around the team has been bad for ages. Yeah. You know what I mean? The atmosphere looked fine when they were beating Cuba 7-0. Well, uh, yeah, I do, but I I don't actually agree with your second point. I do think that people kind of took it as like, oh, everything's terrible and and it's toxic with the U.S. national team. Yeah. But I do think maybe there's an idea of like things are not good on or off the field with the national team right now because of that loss. Because of the defeat to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, as yeah. So I'd be happy to leave that camp because everyone's disappointed Mm -hmm. and get back to something else, right? Because then you're leaving... The, the atmosphere of disappointment. But everyone seems to be taking it to mean that like, yeah. there's some terrible thing that is the reason that we lost the Canada game. Two things well, As opposed to it being the result of losing the Canada game. One thing that makes it difficult, because I don't, I don't disagree with your like, basic idea, except that the thing he's returning to is Newcastle. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. That's where it's like, it's not as though he's returning to like playing for Liverpool or playing for Man City. It's like yeah, you're yeah. playing for a team that are struggling in the relegation zone. Well, it's just out of the losing pan into the 5-4-1. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the other thing that I, I did want to bring up here, because you and I haven't had as much of a chance to talk about it, I don't know how much we want to talk about it, but there's this idea that you've got Various Americans this weekend performing particularly well, some better than others, but consistently it was a good weekend for Americans, which yeah. leads to the question of if you have Yedlin doing well for Newcastle, Pulisic coming in doing well for Chelsea, McKenney shock losing, but he's still a key figure there. He wasn't involved, by the way. He didn't travel. Thank you. I think he was injured. And uh, Josh Sargent scoring uh, for Werder Bremen. We'll talk about that Oh, a yeah, my bit. thumbs will be all over that. Like, is there an argument to be made that if you have all these players succeeding elsewhere, that they fail with the national team means Burhalter's to blame? I, so I've read this. Mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect encapsulation of how U.S. national team fandom overreacts. Okay. So it's one terrible game against Canada. Mm-hmm. Things are really bad. And it's one good weekend where Sargent scores mm-hmm. and Pulisic does okay off the bench. It wasn't so long ago that we could say that Americans everywhere were having a terrible weekend. Pulisic didn't even make the bench and Sargent was ineffective for mm-hmm. 90 minutes, right? Yeah. It's one bad game against Canada followed by one reasonably good weekend for Americans abroad. Yeah. If you're going like, to draw massive data from that, then you're insane. Okay. There's two data points back to back. I think I think that's fair. I, I think the the Yedlin one I I think is more damning than you do. Not like completely like oh he's saying Berhalter's terrible, but I do think there's a little bit more to that one. That said, I'm not entirely confident that that's the case. So it is just more of a thing that I want to like see if we hear more rumblings of player yeah. dissatisfaction with Berhalter and the national team right now. I think just in general, there's one really bad result and performance mm-hmm. against Canada, and there's been kind of an overreaction to it. I'm guessing so we'll do listener questions maybe later in the week we have all kinds of men's mm. national team questions and i'll be interested to to dig into this whole idea okay yeah. all right um so well then yeah. until we do that should we talk about today's sponsor i it sounds like you really want to so I'm gonna, i do i'm gonna go with you yeah i do because I share the money when people get upset when they get stressed out uh i have been told i don't know if this is scientifically scientifically proven that it can lead to hair loss stress mm. and and high intensity situations can lead to hair loss i don't know why but maybe they can but what can prevent that hair loss daryl grove is today's sponsor hymns a new wellness brand for men hymns is a one-stop shop for hair loss skin care and sexual wellness for men so you've heard us talking about hymns and how they are helping guys look their best if you haven't yet it's time to see what hymns are all about because mm-hmm. 66 percent of men start to lose their hair by age 35 and mm-hmm. once you've noticed thinning hair it might be too late yes yeah, so it may be too late for greg berhalter to save what oh, what, definitely what used to be there but for you if you've still got some up there it is not too late so before that hairline moves fully back if it's only slowly moving back right now you can still prevent that uh by going to hymns hymns connects you with uh real doctors so like but you don't have to go into a doctor's office so there's no awkward in-person visits you don't have to tell i've talked about this many times the receptionist like i'm here because i'm losing my hair like you don't have to whisper that one you can just say it online loud she's like yeah buddy i know (laughs) (laughs) it would be even worse if you walked in you're like i'm here and they're just like hair loss right yeah we know (laughs) see you don't have to deal with that with hymns that doesn't happen they know why you're there, and they don't have to make it so obvious. There we go. Uh, there's also no snake oil pills. That's which, good. I don't know if you've tried snake oil. It doesn't work. Snake oil pills? Yeah. 
Do they make the oil into a pill? Do they, they freeze it? They do. I mean, okay. the whole thing. Like, anytime you see someone selling snake oil, you'd be like, oh, I Which know that. Be a that gel tab, work. I guess. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> no snake oil gel tabs. No. Instead, you're getting real solutions backed by science. You answer a few quick questions. A doctor reviews them. If they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. And it's not just us. Everyone's talking about this. It's been featured in GQ. Everyone. Men's Health, Esquire, and Playboy, to name a few. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that last one. Never heard of it. Um, <laughs> our listeners can get started with the Hymns Complete Hair Kit today for just $5 while supplies last and subject to doctor's approval. See the website for full details and for safety information. This could cost hundreds and you'll be insulted by a receptionist if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy somewhere else. Instead, go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer. What's that? What's that URL, Taylor? Forhims.com slash total soccer. Oh, I like it in the high pitch. Yeah. I like it in the high pitch. Thank you very much to Forhims for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Daryl, some more thumbs up, thumbs down to get to this one a bit, a bit more like. Not necessarily rapid fire, but quick fire. Okay. All right. Quick thumbs. You got him ready? Quick, quick thumbs. thumbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go with Josh Sargent. Mm-hmm. You mentioned him, right? He scored the opening goal for Werder Bremen in their, what turned out to be a 1-1 draw mm-hmm. with Hertha Berlin. I'm assuming you've seen this goal. I have. Um, I, I kind of enjoyed it because it had the thing I'd been talking about with Josh Sargent where he does the thing where he comes short, receives the ball, but then plays a kind of sneaky layoff mm-hmm. pass. Plays it out wide to, I believe, Eggestein, one yep. of the Eggestein brothers, um, and then gets it back. The shot is deflected, so it's not so great. But I'm really focused on the pass. I really like the hold-up play in the pass. I could have. I wish I had like Johnny Carson style written this down and <laughs> sealed it in an envelope. Because when I first saw the goal itself, I was like, "Really? Like we're all very excited about a deflected shot? Like it's great. He scored and he yeah, took yeah. the chance." But it's a pretty massive deflection. And then as soon as I saw the build-up to it, I thought, "Oh, Daryl's going to have things to say <laughs> about this." Because yes, it's it's Sergeant. Contrasting that with especially what we saw against Canada, where his hold-up play, like his first touch, the ball popped up, the ball went back, he failed to control. He actually triggered some counterattacks for Canada with his how poor his hold-up play was. So here to see him kind of receive the ball, make that pass, as you said, but turn and make the run in. Yeah. But he doesn't overrun. He's not sprinting to get on a ball like in towards the six-yard box. Instead, he hangs back and yeah, allows lets, that space to develop. He lets the defense drop as if he was crashing right yep. to the near post and, and instead pulls back. Yeah, yep, yep, Really yep. smart recognition of space. So well done. I say thumbs up to Josh Sargent as well. And sticking with Americans, yeah. I'm gonna say, we are going to talk MLS playoffs uh, on the show with Joe Lowry, but we should mention here, thumbs up to Jordan Morris. Hat-trick hero. Yep. Here's what I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, thumbs up to Jordan Morris for scoring what I call the perfect Jordan Morris hat-trick. Okay. So you know a normal perfect hat-trick mm-hmm. is right foot, left foot, header? Mm-hmm. People talk about it as the perfect hat-trick. Mine is uh, face, back of head, and accidental own goal. That's the Jesse Zidus hat-trick. Okay, there we go. The perfect Jordan <laughs> Morris hat-trick, left foot, left foot, There we header. go. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. Yep. Two left-footed finishes and the header in Seattle's 4-3 extra time win over FC Dallas. Yes, and at, at the time, Seattle looking like they had somehow found a way not to win, yeah, and yeah. then Jordan Morris finds a way to win. I mean, especially the, that fourth goal, the header, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how much you've looked at it, mm-hmm. but it's an absolute scramble in the box. Oh, yeah. Rui Diaz has two shots in a row blocked, and I think the one pops off of Rui Diaz after yep. it's blocked, pops up in the air, and it's Jordan Morris who is kind of alive enough and mm-hmm. aggressive enough to just power through, I've forgotten who he beats in the air, but really just like launches himself, scores that winning goal. Everyone. He beats everyone, everyone to score yeah. that goal. Yes, so a well-taken goal there from Jordan Morris, albeit a scrappy and maybe fortunate goal, but still, he took it well. Uh, as I said, we'll talk more about Joe Lowry, but we do have a question yeah. about this goal and about Jordan Morris in general. So this came via the usual listener mm-hmm. questions, right? Matthew Cleveland, it just seemed like a good time to ask it. Um, should Jordan Morris, Matthew Cleveland asks, should Jordan Morris take advantage of his current form and try his luck overseas? Similar to Taylor, I've been very impressed with his play lately. I want to see how far he can go what leagues do you think he could go well in? All right. So we're imagining... End of so the- I feel like that question answered itself if we're moving to what leagues would he do well yeah. in over should he go abroad? I mean, kind of yes, right? He's done so well in MLS. I don't, I don't think there's much to be gained from staying in MLS. It's the perfect, like informed time for him to try and make that move abroad I, well okay I so agree with the premise of the question that answered itself I agree with the premise of the question <laughs> because I will say like my my bias is is fairly evident but like I do think that Europe makes you a better player because yeah. you it's an unfamiliar landscape with uh, like you know players that you don't speak the same language you're not living in your hometown it requires you to develop and adapt and embrace new ideas so, so you're surrounded by a high standard of player there's that as well uh, yes thank you for making it the actual soccer thing uh, and that is is true. 
The thing with Jordan Morris... You can't take your dog with you. They let you take your dog. The thing with Jordan Morris, like, he... I was really frustrated when he chose not to go to Werder Bremen because of his dog and his girlfriend. But, like, to your point about his development, like, he scored those goals with his left foot because that's a thing he has worked on. Like, he has developed his game. He has adjusted it. Even though he won't admit it. Yeah. Well, I think it was, like, Seattle fans seemed very annoyed but that I had asked that question because it's a thing he's been talking about all season. I haven't heard him talk about it all season, so it's new to me. Yeah. Um, but, like, he... It does seem like a thing that he has placed uh, like emphasis on throughout this season, and he yeah. has gotten better at it. And so I guess in my mind, it's like if he's in form, feels very confident, is doing good things, and is developing as a player, I don't necessarily think he needs to go abroad. I, I don't, I'm not going to be upset if he does it at the end of this season the way I might be with other players who are national team eligible or already playing for the national team. But if he were to go— right, Let me, frame, let mm-hmm. me reframe it there for you then. Um, would you like to see him go abroad? No. I no, don't think so. I, I know. I know. It's, I, ah, man, this might just be entirely informed by his recent form for the national team and for Seattle. But like, if he is developing as a player and playing very well for the national team, I thought he was our best player against Canada and uh, against Mexico as well, and other games as well. Like, I'm okay with him staying there because I guess the other aspect of it is that I don't necessarily back him to go out and thrive. I don't know oh. if he is that level of like. Like, Weston McKenney is maybe not a player we knew at the time was, like, definitely going to go to Schalke and, and make his way to the first team. But, like, Pulisic, going from Dortmund to Chelsea, we had an idea of, like, okay, he is moving there because he can compete at that level, and we expect him to blend in. And when he didn't, there were questions, but it feels like maybe it's just going to take time. With Jordan Morris, I don't know if he's a player who goes to a club and immediately comes in as a starter, and I also don't know if he's a player who, if he's not a starter automatically, does that motivate him to get there, or is he more of a, like, well, this isn't fun, I'm not enjoying this? Well, I'm kind of with you on that, like, if he went to, say, the Bundesliga Mm -hmm. now, there's a chance he succeeds, especially with his pace, right? You've got that sort of raw asset. There's also a chance that he is um, stuck on the bench Mm -hmm. somewhere, and then his national team form drops, and we don't have him in top form for World Cup qualifying. I would love for him to go somewhere essentially a little easier, like mid-table Eredivisie or even like Belgium. He would annihilate the Eredivisie. He would. But <laughs> I mean, would he... Not really because it's still a very competitive league and Ajax will destroy all. But, <laughs> but yes, I think he would enjoy playing against yeah. some of those Eredivisie defenses. But, but you look at like uh, Jonathan David, who mm-hmm. played really well uh, for Canada against us. He plays for Ghent, mm-hmm. not Genk. I don't know who would make that mistake. Um, plays... You sure? <laughs> You sure no. it's getting that He game? plays for a Belgian team again. <laughs> but uh, Jordan Morris could absolutely succeed at yeah. that level. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the big question is, would he get paid as much? You know, he's got that. He's got that good, good contract, right? So that might that be good, good. the stumbling block now is um, a, like a, a mid-table Dutch team mm-hmm. or a Belgian team might not be able to match the offer financially. And the only place that could match, match or improve the offer financially is a place where he'd have serious competition for minutes. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be the... The reason he wouldn't move would be that, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, tu- it's tough, though, because, like, I could see him. I think he would be fine in the Eredivisie. I don't think he would do well in the Premier League. I don't think he would do well in Spain, even. Like, it's a bit more technical. Yeah, he's too maybe direct. Like, Spain, so yeah. I do actually think that, like, Bundesliga is maybe an area where he maybe could Maybe lower-table Bundesliga? Yeah, maybe. But then you're playing for a low, lower-table Bundesliga team. There's always the risk of relegation. Join Zach Steffen. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Fortuna Dusseldorf. Yeah, why not? No, but like that. Like I guess that's the other thing. And like this is where like people who don't like MLS or want our Americans to constantly be pushing themselves. Jurgen Klinsmann hates me right now. Put it that <laughs> way. But like, does going to Fortuna Dusseldorf, where like potentially they find themselves not right now, but if they find themselves in a relegation scrap, this is a thing we've seen many times for Americans in the Bundesliga. When that happens, sort of tactics go out the window. Like the kind of flair players go out the window. It's about. Be defensive, stave off relegation. Yeah, Does that help him develop yeah, versus staying in Seattle and being a key attacking piece for a t- team that is consistently near the top of the West? Honestly, yes. Muscly okay. pacey guy. He'd still get minutes in a sort of relegation threatened team. Mm-hmm. And he'd just be up against a better standard of defender than he faces in Major League Soccer. Mm. So I think, yes, it would help him develop as a player. And so with all of that said then, because I don't, I guess I don't necessarily disagree. I think my honest answer, and it is an answer for me, is like, no, I don't think he needs to go. But I also... Like, I'm not going to be mad if he stays, and I'm not going to be, like, upset if he doesn't go and vice versa. Like, I think there are arguments for him staying in Seattle that make sense to me. There are arguments for him going that make sense to me. And so I'm sort of like, either way, I think I'm okay with it. Oh, does it hurt sitting on that fence? It does not, because I'm not sitting on the fence. I've made that fence my seat. 
I just thought maybe like being your Burton. Nah. No? Mm-mm. All right. Um, one, uh, I don't what? know, Colin Coward. Do you want me to make more? <laughs> like, This is how it's got to be, Daryl. He's got to go to Germany right now. Otherwise, he's sitting on the sidelines, not developing the way he needs to, and that's not what a champion does. But is LeBron the greatest player of all time? Oh, God, yeah. We all know LeBron James never surrounded himself with a bunch of really good players that allowed him to play at a next level. He always went out and ran the team by himself. That's not what he did. Never uses his left foot. Um, all right, so uh, big picture MLS. Oh, and also LeBron James. Uh, maybe read about China. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Just a couple books. A couple things. A couple articles. Big picture MLS. Uh-huh. We're going to talk to Joe Lowry yeah. um, in the next day or so. Right? Yeah. We're going to get a good tactical review of all those MLS playoff mm-hmm. games. I just want to say thumbs up to MLS for making the first round single elimination because mm-hmm. it was... Crazy, terrific, in a good way. Yes, it was. I think basically when you have a, when you have two legged games, you can be one nil down in the 60th minute away mm-hmm. from home, and you just think, all right, we'll, we'll fix yeah. this next week. It, it was it was this time you have to like one nil uh, down 60th minute. You got to go for it, right? So these games were wide, wide open. Two, there were 27 goals in six games. There were like average of four point something, four point five. There we go. I did I did the calculation? There we go. Uh, did you do the calculation, or did you find that somewhere else? Did you no, do did, the actual math? By oh six. my goodness, yeah. Daryl Grove doing math. I yep. don't know what to make of that anymore. Two things to your point, though. Like, I found myself last night watching uh, Minnesota versus LA Galaxy and thinking just how nice it was to like actually care about that game from a this matter standpoint. Because in other like iterations of the playoffs of the past, it's been like, all right, well, this matters, but like we'll see what happens next time they play each yeah. other in the second leg. And for it to all be there, you're into it immediately. And secondly, to your point about how this has been a really exciting first round of the playoffs, uh, Vito Monone goes forward in like the dying moments of this one for like the corner when it's two to one. And I more than I think I ever have expected a goalkeeper to score in that moment. Like it just felt like that's how crazy they've been. The only way to cap it off is a goalkeeper scoring the equalizer in extra time. Uh, oh, or before, an injury time, excuse me. Before anyone emails, we do know that the playing games mm-hmm. were single elimination, mm-hmm. but those were literally the the worst playoff yep. teams. Yeah. So it we weren't good games. Yeah, it was basically Here like got, we don't want this to go on longer than it has to. Yeah. Let's just get them out of the way. But these were these are like good teams yeah. in single elimination, and so it provided some really great entertainment. That I'm not did. gonna commit to saying there was high quality. Um, see for example the Rui Diaz uh, two shots blocked bounces up in the air Jordan Morris head down. yeah that's fair but it was dramatic and enjoyable it yeah. was indeed it a was indeed so too were right. the NWSL playoffs uh, with yeah. a weird one <laughs> the North Carolina uh, versus Seattle uh, very strange game yeah. you sent me because that was one that I wasn't able to see live you sent me the like screen cap the of the score. box score yeah. and it was confusing so yeah apparently the goals were just bottled up until yeah. the 80 something yeah. and then they, they mm-hmm. flowed flowed yeah, yeah. So, yeah, once... Um, From one side, yes. Once Heather Riley scores that penalty, uh-huh. then there's the equaliser for Seattle, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, three more goals for North Carolina yep. in extra time. There were goals everywhere. We're going to give a thumbs up to the best goal of them all. I believe it's Dabinia with the correct. free kick. It was. It was Dabinia because that's sort of the backbreaker. It's only a few minutes into the start of extra time. Yeah. And just that she gets it up and over and then down uh, over the wall from yeah. like 20 yards out or so, that is a really dif- difficult distance to do that from. Uh-huh. But then to... Because, like, it, whenever you have the goalkeeper at full stretch on a free kick and it still goes in, yeah, yeah. you really have posterized at that point, and it <laughs> makes it look that much prettier. So it was already a, like, technically well-struck goal, but then the full-stretch goalkeeper with the number of players in the wall, and especially some famous players in that wall, yeah. made it that much more impressive. So it makes it aesthetically pleasing. Yes, yes. Yeah, it goes Seeing Megan Rapino like, trying to block that free kick desperately... Yeah. Adds a little bit to it. I was going to say, it goes up and over some pink hair. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a little like minor assist from Jalen Hinkle, right? Because doesn't she sort of... Oh, she does like the fake, the fake. Yeah. The fake, yeah. And I wonder if that fools the keeper a little bit. Or if it's all about Dubinia's technique. I think it's all about Dubinia's technique. It's like 99% Dubinia's technique. Dubinia's I technique. think so. I yeah. think so. Because like, it's not as the keeper like slid all the way over thinking that shot was coming and then had to run all the way back. I think she more or less was like, yeah, okay, that's the pump fake. The actual shot's coming from the one who's actually going to hit it. <laughs> from the Brazilian goal scorer. So he's always going to be the Brazilian. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, also, um, O'Reilly, mm-hmm. who I think didn't really expect to be playing soccer this year. Or, or instead, certainly not as much as she has been. Instead, scoring penalties mm-hmm. um, in the semifinals. Yep. Yeah. Key figure to, to give North Carolina the lead and then is on the field as they uh, proceed to run riot yeah. against Seattle in and extra she time. Gets, she gets the assist on the own goal as well. I think so, or yeah. The, assi- the hockey assist. She gets the, the hockey goal. assist there. Yeah. Why, why are you going hockey? Call it the MLS assist. I, I think I read somewhere about Pulisic getting the hockey assist. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Can whatever. we call it an NWSL assist? Yes, that's yeah. fine. NWSL assist, yeah. So, there well we done go. to Heather O'Reilly. Well done, too, to the Chicago 
Chicago Red Stars. Uh, yes. Sam Kerr scoring in the eighth minute. Which... I'm going to say thumbs down to Sam Kerr for being predictable. Because I saw 1-0 Chicago Red Stars yeah. over Portland Thorns. And I thought, and you knew? oh, Sam Kerr scored. Yeah. yeah, I looked it up. Oh, there it is. There's mm-hmm. that Sam Kerr goal. But for a Red Stars <laughs> team that like have lost consistently at this stage in uh, the NWSL playoffs. Oh, is that right? I didn't this know that. Is their, I think they've lost the last four uh, at this level, at this stage. So to get this win, to make it to the final, albeit... At North Carolina, who are playing at home, will be difficult for the Red Stars. But yep. these are the two teams that I think it always looked like it was going to be at the start of the season. They've got the depth. They've got the talent. Uh, and they've got the fan bases as well. So I think it's going to be a very good game. I'm very excited for it. We are hoping to have Meg Linehan on later on in the week to help review these games a little bit and preview that final, uh, her schedule permitting. Oh, yeah, because Meg is an expert. And whereas I, for example, have to look up to say, well done, uh, thumbs up for the assist for Yuki Nagasato. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was Yuki. Just I call her Yuki. That's Nagasato. what the commentators did. Just call her Yuki. I should say Yuki and just pretend that, yeah. I, that I super know what's going on. I think even extend it further. Like, oh, me and Yuki? Yeah, we go way back. <laughs> mm. We're that besties. was a great, great through ball for Sam Kerr mm-hmm. to run onto and do her Sam Kerr put it in the bottom corner thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, Sam <laughs> Kerr. Well done, the Red Stars. Uh, any other things you want to give thumbs to one way or the other? Oh, yeah. I've got a couple. Uh, mm-hmm. Thumbs up to North Texas Soccer Club yep. uh, for winning the USL League One mm-hmm. Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, even without Ricardo Pepe. Another thing we kind of saw coming from early in the season. We kind of did, right? But there's often a team that like looks like it's dominating yep. but then falls away during the actual playoff stage. Not so with, with North Texas. Not they so much. absolutely got the job done. Yeah. 1-0 win in the mm-hmm. USL League One final. Thumbs down to the former Lansing Ignite mm-hmm. owner who basically looked at the financials and decided to fold the team after, mm-hmm. an actual, after a successful season, right? Mm-hmm. When they made the semifinals of the playoffs, I think, mm-hmm. Lansing. Um, if you're not, I mean, when you're the four teams that make the playoffs, you're automatically in the semifinals. Same thing as NWSL, which is a weird thing to say. Like, they made it all the way to the semifinals. <laughs> it's the first round of the playoffs. I really, I've forgotten the guy's name, and I refuse to look it up. Yeah, to you, don't need, respect, you don't but need to. He's Fine. the minor league baseball owner mm-hmm. who thought, oh, just give the sucker thing a go. Looked at the numbers and was like, yeah, get rid of it. So Jason Weintraub was on the show last week. He gave a, a fairly in-depth accounting of kind of what went into the decision to start the Ignite and maybe what their long-term plans had been and when those plans seemed like they weren't going to work. That's where it kind of all fell through. So go back and listen to that one. It's the show from last week, which has Meg Linehan on it. No, just if our listeners want a more sort of in-depth accounting of what maybe went into this decision. But yes, they announced today. Is it it harsh me giving thumbs down? Is there like some good logic No, not at all. No, No. you can give another thumbs down on top if you want. (laughs) Two thumbs down. Yeah. It, It was essentially like a long, it wasn't even a we'll do this soccer thing and see if it works out. It was like, we'll do this soccer thing with an eye towards doing another soccer thing. That's actually our goal. And then when that like maybe isn't going to work, we're going to just fold this team, whatever. So it's oh. it's much more frustrating and uh, business owner-y than anything else. Well, the good news is that um, the former Lansing owner is not the worst owner in North America. No. I think that goes to, thumbs down to Veracruz mm-hmm. owner yeah. Fidel Curry, mm. possibly to the Tigres players and maybe even to the Veracruz players' communication skills. Okay. So there's a <laughs> Explain whole, these things. There was a whole situation in mm. Liga MX this weekend. So the Veracruz players, they're bottom of the league. They haven't won in 40 games, something like that. Um, they haven't been paid in months. Apparently, some of the players haven't been paid in six months. So they're planning to protest. Just, uh, people, if people don't know, that's bad. That's bad. You You're should pay your players. To get paid, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially should be six months in the top division of a big league. Also, right? you should be getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, they were going to protest by not turning up for this game against Tigres. The Veracruz players were told, if you do that, this team's probably getting like automatically relegated. Mm-hmm. Um, so they worked out sort of a protest where they would just refuse to play for the opening of the game, right? But it kind of went wrong where Veracruz thought they were going to be not playing for three minutes and the Tigres players thought they were going to not be playing for one minute. Mm-hmm. So the game opens, the teams stand there with their foot on the ball, like nothing happening. Then a minute in, Tigres start playing and Veracruz don't start playing. Nope. Eduardo Vargas scores mm-hmm. in the second minute. Um, From like and, a 40-yard lob. Yeah, because yeah. the keeper refuses to mm-hmm. move. Um, there's some like confusion amongst the Veracruz players. And then uh, Gignac scores mm-hmm. in the fourth minute. So they thought it would be like a protest, nil-nil, no action for three minutes, then we start the game. Instead, they're 2-0 down. Wait, you said in the fourth minute Gignac scored, but the protest was three minutes? Oh, yeah, because then there was some confusion. There was gotcha. like, you know, I mean, they waited between okay, the goals. I gotcha like, yeah, mm-hmm. so it extended, the, it extended the timeout. Gotcha. So then they start playing, and Tigres just score again anyway. Vargas yeah. scores again in the eighth minute. It's a really touchy game. The Veracruz players are not happy with the Tigres players. Tigres players were like, we said one minute. That's mm-hmm. what we understood. Veracruz said, no, we thought it was three minutes. So this whole thing is kind of a, 
a disaster and not a very good protest in the end because it wasn't organized. Organize your protests, people. Yeah. Organize your protests. Get it done right. But the major, major thumbs down goes to Veracruz owner Fidel Curie, who put them in this situation to begin with by not paying the players. Yes. And then on top of that, you had uh, violence in the stands between San Luis and Queretaro this weekend. Mm-hmm. That game had to be abandoned. It bled into the streets. There was like like prolonged fighting amongst the fans. Uh, Tom Marshall wrote about the Veracruz situation for ESPN. And then if you follow him on Twitter, you can see his timeline updating the events. But basically, thumbs down to Liga MX this this weekend. Not this season, but this weekend for really the types of stories that you definitely do not want if you're a league, especially when your North American uh, competitor is having the most exciting playoffs they've had in quite some time. Yeah, it makes that thing about the potential like one day off in the future merger of MLS and League MX make more sense from a League MX perspective because mm-hmm. maybe they would want the stability that comes with the way MLS do business. I do look forward to the day. You were telling me off air that like Veracruz uh, avoided oh, yeah. relegation by paying six million dollars. Was it? Yeah, one hundred twenty million pesos, mm-hmm. or about just over six million US dollars. To like, they finished bottom last season and they were not relegated. And somehow, I don't quite understand how it works. I'm sure Tom Marshall does. Um, there was 18 teams last season now it's 19 teams and one of them is Veracruz mm. and, and beca- they're still bottom of the table and because I watched too many cartoons I assumed they paid that amount in like uh, sacks filled with I guess not dollar signs but like the peso sign yeah, so, now I'm, Scrooge McDuck yeah so now I'm imagining Veracruz not making MLS playoffs in 2035 when they've merged and being like here is money you yeah. will let us in the playoffs now thank you okay, but how cool. about if you can afford to pay 6 million to not get relegated you Maybe still make sure you can afford to pay your players yeah or yeah. get relegated and then pay the players that would come in for a relegated team yep. slightly less than you would have to and then it all works out <sighs> but that's a bummer so I'm going to end on a positive note which yes. is just to say that today Timothy Weah tweeted out that he had returned to training so I'm just going to say thumbs up to players returning to training but specifically oh, yes. young Americans who were excited to see play the soccer alright oh speaking of it's Chelsea Ajax this week in the Champions there we go. League so Pulisic Back involved maybe in some form with Chelsea. We're hoping Sergino Dest plays for Ah, uh, conditionals. So we, we might see them go up against each other this week. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens when we talk to Joe Lowry reviewing uh, the first round of MLS playoffs. But until then, Daryl Grove, why don't you bring us home? Are we not going to do scouting? I forgot about scouting. Yeah, oh, boy. I'll bring, right. us, I'll bring us home to scouting. Oh, that, boy. That's where we live. Oh, boy. All that's right. That's where we live. Ben Sundstrom scouting Joshua Benedath, the 17-year-old American winger for Young Ajax. Despite training with the first team at Ajax and getting consistent minutes for Young Ajax, Benedath did not make Rafael Vicky's U17 uh, boys national team squad. Regarding his nationality, Benedath does not hold a European passport. His mom is an executive at Google and works in Amsterdam. Benedath joined Ajax's academy in 2016, leaving La Fabrica when she transferred from Madrid to Amsterdam. He can only play in the country in which she works. Got it. Thank you, Ben Sundstrom, for a very... Very good scouting mm-hmm. um, Russell Varner is scouting Alex Mendez, the 18-year-old American midfielder for Young Ajax. Um, Russell says, Mendez started the U.S. under-23 6-1 win over El Salvador on Tuesday. Not televised, unfortunately. Um, lasting 45 minutes and getting assists on the opening goal to Brooks Lennon. It was a closed game, so only a few details have emerged via the USYNT that counts. Twitter account. <laughs> that counts as the tradition of Daryl jumping ahead. Alan Bedford scouting Jonathan Lewis, the 22-year-old American midfielder for the Colorado Rapids. Lewis also added some significant contributions in that 6-1 to win over El Salvador, we assume. Um, in the 30th minute, he took a pass from Georgi Mihailovic and struck it home from a difficult angle to make it 2-0. After the break, Lewis fed Sebastian Soto for the USA's fourth goal in that 6-1 in that to win. Jonas Lehmann-Karp is scouting Matt Miazga, the 24-year-old mm-hmm. American defender on loan at Reading from Chelsea. Jonas says uh, Matt Miazga scored a last-second stoppage time winner seven minutes into added time mm-hmm. for Reading over Preston this past weekend. I didn't know about this. Mm-hmm. Miazga continues to be the greatest U.S. men's defender of several generations and put in a solid shift in the game against Cuba. Mm-hmm. He didn't put a foot wrong against Canada. I'll say that much. <laughs> Ryan Downey scouting Zion Jones, the 19-year-old American forward for the Charlotte Independence. After not getting on the pitch in over a month, Zion Jones was subbed on in the 58th minute of Charlotte's, Charlotte Independence's 3-0 loss to the Swope Park Rangers. It's hard to say why Zion hasn't been getting more playing time because he always brings a spark to his struggling side. He is lightning quick and showed off his pace when he blew by Swope Park's right back and played a pinpoint curling cross to Enzo Martinez, who missed a simple shot at the back post. Maybe that's why, because he keeps setting his teammates up and making them look bad when they can't finish. That's why they don't <laughs> Zion Jones in the line. Stop embarrassing them. Yeah. Uh, James Chucker is scouting <laughs> Dwayne Octavius Holmes. I hope that's not the reason why. The 24-year-old American <laughs> midfielder at Derby County. James says, Dwayne played the full nine for the first time this season in a draw against Leeds. New coach Philippe Cocu complimented Holmes' performance, saying, quote, he gives us more pace, unquote. 
I thought it was going to be longer. Mm-hmm. Suggesting Dwayne should have a valued role on the championship side if he can remain healthy. Yeah, that was one of those in which like we tend to remove the he should have more time, he get, might get more opportunities, except it felt really weird to end with complimented Holmes' performance saying, quote, he gives us more pace, end quote. And that was it. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Matt Cross, uh, Koss, excuse me, scouting uh, Luca Toussart. Toussart. Toussart, not Toussart. Uh, the 23-year-old French midfielder for Lyon, Luca Toussart. Uh, Luca played an important full match at center of a five-man midfield against RB Leipzig in the Champions League, uh, winning 2-0 on October 2nd. Okay. Mm-hmm. Zach Rose is scouting mm-hmm. Ronaldo Vieira, the 21-year-old English midfielder at Sampdoria. Uh, Zach says Ronaldo has started five of seven Serie A games this season, but it's been a season to forget so far. Sampdoria sit bottom of the table with three points from those seven games. Claudio Ranieri had been brought in to right the ship, so Zach is Has hoping that Ronaldo and La Samp can discover some of that Leicester magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw um, Sampdoria played Roma, and I think yep. he was racially abused. Yep. But Roma put out an official statement yes, straight up apologizing. And not like, we're sorry if you were offended, nope. but straight up apologizing like, we're sorry, shouldn't have happened. We'll try and make sure it doesn't happen yeah. again. It goes back to uh, David Amoyal's appearance on our show a couple weeks ago in which he said, like, Roma, there is that element in, like, in all of Serie A. We talked about why that is, why that yeah. is the case. But a he great, was saying, great interview, by the way. If people oh, haven't yeah. heard that, please go back and listen to it. But it's the point that he was making about, like, but it's up to the individual clubs, basically, to actually come out and make these statements and police their fans better. And it does seem like Roma have done that albeit from a like very negative situation. So I guess I'm going to say thumbs medium to Roma. We'll see what okay. happens. Thumbs medium. Uh, but reassuring thumbs up to Ronaldo Vieira. Uh, John Adams, not that one, scouting Shaun Harrison, the 22-year-old English striker for Almere City. Daryl Popquiz, do you remember where Almere City, what league they're in? Almere City? Not a high one. Mm-mm. They're in the second division. In the Netherlands. Oh. Uh, Harrison scored in Almere City's 1-1 home draw against Go Ahead Eagles. Oh, I should have read ahead. The goal in his, <laughs> is his sixth in ten games, good enough to make Cheyenne second in the Erste Divisie in goals. Guy Yedwab is scouting Serge Gnabry, 23-year-old German wide forward. Another international break with Gnabry and he continues to shine for the Mannschaft. He battled his way through defenders for a goal and assist against Argentina, bringing his national team tally to eight goals in ten caps. Decent. Unfortunately, a muscle injury forced him to withdraw from Germany's European qualifier against Estonia. And pop quiz, Daryl, where is Bayern Munich? In Bayern. That is correct. <laughs> David Nowyszewski scouting. Actually, he's in Bavaria, Munich. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, Sebastian Szymański, the 22-year-old Polish midfielder for Dynamo Moscow. Shimmy, as he's affectionately known, started both matches for Poland in the October international break. He assisted on a goal in Poland's 3-0 beatdown of Latvia <laughs> and featured prominently in the attack in a 2-0 win over Macedonia, a victory which officially qualified Poland for the, for the 2020 Euros, oh, go on then. where we, we would expect Sebastian Szymański, a.k.a. Shimmy, to feature <laughs> at club level Shimmy's making regular appearances usually starts for Dinamo who are currently treading water near the relegation zone in Russia Kaz Tidrick is scouting is Robbie f- Mertz frozen water I believe frozen water mm-hmm. Kaz Tidrick is scouting Robbie Mertz a 22 year old American midfielder for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds Kaz says Robbie went the full 90 in the hands 1-0 win over St. Louis in the penultimate match of the USL Championship regular season there we are so thank you to everyone for contributing the scouting reports Daryl do you want to take us to the scouting reports I'm flipping it around since I already tried to bring us home Taylor Rockwell, <laughs> thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening and tune back in, even that's that's not how podcasts work, but tune back in for our big MLS review with Joe Lowry coming soon. Put a big dial on your phone and then tune it in.